Have you ever filled out a resume and applied for a job? Have you ever been shoulder tapped for a job or a position? Have you been called and offered a job? Our text today isn't the first time that calling comes up. Actually, Jesus called his 12 disciples, and Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus was kind of a specific calling from God as well. And then the church in Jerusalem called and sent Barnabas to Antioch when they heard of the gospel and the growth of the gospel in the church there. So today we want to look at calling in Acts chapter 13, and we want to ask ourselves, no, actually we want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us about our own calling this morning. Although most of the book of Acts can be identified as descriptive, it describes what happened, instead of being prescriptive, meaning it always has to happen this way, there are still things that we can learn and apply today. So we want to see what we can learn from our text this morning, and then also be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. Now, those of you that know me know that a former missionary, missions prof, salivates at a text like this, right? That, that this, is, this text is, it connects with me, right? Uh, so, so you're going to get, uh, as Bob would say, you always have to have one in the chamber. Uh, um, you're going to get the one in the chamber this morning. And he's talking about evangelism, just so you know. You don't have to worry. So we want to talk about calling this morning. We want to talk about calling. And, and by the way, a praise band, thank you so much for, for serving this morning. Uh, ushers, thank you for serving. Sound people and, and production team, thank you for serving. And, and they're, 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 they're embracing a part of their calling. That's what they're doing. And by the way, if you haven't yet, just go ahead and overwhelm them after the service with your thank yous. Go ahead, say thank you to them. Uh, they're not doing it for your thanks, but thanks are kind of nice once in a while. So let's look at our passage this morning, and you'll want to have your Bible handy because I'm going to pick different verses uh, to, to talk about calling this morning. The first one is that the calling or the called, sorry, the called are called while worshiping and fasting, verse 2. In 13, verse 2, it says, while, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. So it's while they are worshiping and fasting. The practice of fasting gives evidence of an atmosphere of urgent desire in the church. Now, uh, Probably, if we did a bit of a... We haven't necessarily practiced fasting as a church. Uh, some of us maybe haven't practiced a whole lot of fasting even in our personal life. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, do I need to fast? What's fasting all about? Well, fasting emphasizes a state of uninterrupted concentration, which makes it possible to ascertain the will of the Lord. And so that's actually the main purpose and value of fasting. And, and so the question would be, how urgent, how urgent is God's agenda to us, and to what lengths would you and I go to discover what he wants us to be involved in? And, and the church in Antioch, obviously, they, they were about that. They were worshiping and fasting, and it's in that context of drawing close to God that the Holy Spirit spoke. 
Five words characterize the missionary program in the Church of Antioch. Prayer, fasting, guidance, release, and commissioning. And, and those features come from an earnestness to know and obey God's will, which then allows for the Holy Spirit to guide the whole process. Isn't that wonderful? So, so I'll say the question again. What is our level of urgency when it comes to the Lord's work? Prayer and fasting, and it doesn't have to be only that, but what's our level of urgency when it comes to the Lord's work personally and also as a church family? Number two, in verse three, and I'll read that for us. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The second thing we're finding about calling here is that the called are commissioned. After prayer and fasting, they're commissioned. The ministry of Jesus and the apostles was always preceded by prayer. Prayer provides the opportunity for the action of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit leads directly to mission. You don't have to be brilliant, humanly speaking, to be missional. One has to be called. And God often calls the ordinary. I stand here before you this morning as someone that is ordinary. God, God doesn't... He, he doesn't necessarily need our ability. He needs our availability. He, he, he gets to decide. Uh, we put so many brakes on and so many... Well, I can't, I can't, I can't. And we become like Moses. God is spectacular in using unspectacular people to do special things for him. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You didn't bring a lot to the table. But, but Jesus is the expert at taking five loaves and two fish and feeding a multitude. So who cares what you're bringing? Because he can use whatever it is that you and I are willing to let go of and, and offer it to him. Yes, sometimes God sends the most talented, and Paul probably fits into that category given his training. So here we have in this text, in verse 3, an allusion to commissioning. Commissioning is a recognition of calling. But it's also an agreement to partner with the person being commissioned. And it's a reminder of our collective responsibility as called ones. Now some of you that have been around as long as me will remember that I told the church when I went to Nicaragua, if you don't pray, I'm not going. You remember because it was a team effort. It wasn't about me. It was about us. I was just going with your support and encouragement. And he's not here, so we'll talk about him behind his back. Well, he's going to listen to this later. But Andrew, we're going to commission him. Before he leaves for Ireland and Lesotho, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to lay hands on him. Because, because he's also going on our behalf. We're going to pray for him. We're going to support him. We're together in this. And that's the way calling should be. Commissioning is 
a reminder of our collective responsibility as called ones. Yes, some go, some stay, but actually the ones that go can't go without the support of those that are staying. It's together. And to be quite honest, maybe we should commission our carpenters, our school teachers, etc., as they, they use their fob for kingdom work. Now, some of you weren't here during our workplace faith series where we said your job is your fob, meaning that your job is your legitimate access to a, series, a range of people that you can be a witness to. So we should maybe have Commissioning Sunday where we commission everybody because all of us are called in one way or another. Number three, the called are sent out. It would be great if we commissioned Andrew and then told him he wasn't leaving. Hmm. Not sure there'd be much point to that. See, the called are commissioned, but then they're also sent out. They're released, they're empowered, they're entrusted with the ministry that they're being given. And, and I, hope, I hope, some of you can come talk to me later and say that's not true, but I hope that I'm not a micromanaging pastor. I, I, I like to empower, delegate, and, and, and stay in my lane. I, 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 I don't want to be the kind of guy that's, that's always managing everything and looking over your shoulder and second-guessing everything you do. I want to be an encouragement and a support to you. And when I'm not doing that properly, then, then come tell me. I'll survive. And hopefully I'll fix it. The called are sent out. <clears throat> the message that the church received here in Antioch was to release their best for missionary service. And their earnestness was such that they were willing to do so. Amazing. I'm sure that there was lots of work, much more work to be done in Antioch. This was a fledgling church, a multicultural church, a growing church. There was lots of work to do. And yet the Holy Spirit says, these two, the best here, I need them over here. God asked the church to release their key leaders for missions. And to their credit, the church did so with no apparent hesitation. That is how important mission and obedience to the Holy Spirit were and still are. And still are. This is typical of churches that have a missional vision. Churches whose main aim is more than survival or maintenance. And, and I think our, our vision statement, worship God, love neighbors, make disciples and grow young, kind of reflects that, that, that we want to be missional, that we want to love our neighbors, that we want to reach out. We need to be churches that are both inward-focused, discipleship, and then also outward-focused. We need to reach the lost. Mission is so important to them that they willingly take steps that may seem harmful to the church in order for the mission program to thrive. I know at times... uh, our associate, our past associate pastor, who I'm looking at right now, Pastor Mo, has, has said he's he's trained and worked with and mentored uh, a whack load of people in praise and worship, only to have them leave uh, and he has to start over. But but it would be amazing to make a list of all of these individuals and and how they're leading praise and worship in different churches and continuing to serve. So the investment continues. And then maybe all of those, because they learned that, are also hopefully doing that with others. 
We're inward-focused and also outward-focused. Number four, the called are sent by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the Holy Spirit that initiates the process, but look what it says in 13 verse 4. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Cilicia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So they weren't only called, they were also sent by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who is always the sender. Not me, not the church, not a mission agency. No, always the one in charge is the Holy Spirit. It has to be that way. If we do it differently, we get it wrong. Christ is the head of the church, and it is the Spirit of Christ that guides and directs. And we need to continually affirm our dependence on the Holy Spirit for His direction, His guiding, His calling, and His sending. And I know it's tough from personal experience when you feel called to some place, like I felt called to Nicaragua, I clenched that calling, because I, uh, and I told them when they asked, how long are you going to be here, I said, hasta morir, which means till death. I'm not dead and I'm not there, so I obviously lied. See, see, our dependence on the Holy Spirit has to be open-handed because He gets to change the game plan. So when I ended up in Chihuahua, when they asked how long you're going to be here, I said, hasta donde Dios quiere, as long as God wills. <laughs> I changed the way I answered that question. And, and, and that's, the, that's kind of the ongoing dependency that's necessary as we walk with the Holy Spirit. He guides us, He directs us, He calls us and he sends us. And sometimes he asks us to step out of our comfort zone. Hmm. And that's not always easy, I understand. That's not always fun. Uh, But he's not going to throw you to the wolves. he's, He's with you. He will empower you. He will give you what you need to do what he asks you to do, as long as you depend on him. Number five... I have 10, by the way, if you're counting. I didn't stick with 7, the holy number. I, I came up with 10. Verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John was with them as their helper. <clears throat> the called mentor and disciple as part of their calling. Here's John Mark. Barnabas had earlier been called the son of encouragement in chapter 4, verse 36. He's the consummate mentor. He's he's the consummate enabler. He's the talent scout. Boy, we need to have an election and elect a talent scout. Actually, you have to identify the gift, right? Forget the election. We, We could use a talent scout, somebody that shoulder taps and says, I see this, you should really consider doing this, right? He was the one who sought out and empowered others. He always seemed to think in terms of team. And I think mentoring and discipleship should always be part of our efforts. When we fail to mentor and disciple, we are supervising the slow death of the church. That's why we have that last statement, grow young. We want no age group missing. We need all of us. Are we encouraging one another? Are we mentoring and being mentored? And do we find ways to invest in others? Are are we 
finding ways to invest in others. And I've sometimes said that, you know, every Sunday school teacher should have a helper that they're training. Every sound man should have somebody that they're training. Every praise band member should have... We should be mentoring. We should be encouraging. And, and if you always have to have it perfect, then you'll never be able to release it enough for others to learn. So, so you have to be willing to let go a bit. Number six. 13 verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus, the called minister filled by the Holy Spirit. So they're called because of the Holy Spirit, they're sent out by the Holy Spirit, and now they also minister filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing thing. We must always minister filled by the Holy Spirit. The danger is when we think we can do it and we're now I'm good at it, now I can do it on my own. And human efforts, human results, divine efforts, divine results. You and I need the Holy Spirit to help us all the time. And that's a daily thing. That dependence should be daily. No matter how gifted you are or how good you get at what you're doing, you will never arrive at a place where you can do it on your own and where the Holy Spirit is no longer necessary. And we need to remind ourselves that. That's, that's different than having a token prayer at the beginning of a meeting and then going on as if God wasn't even there. And I'm not saying that's what we're doing, but I'm saying we can't afford to do that. We, we need to be directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say in one of his last prayers in John 15? Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Maybe it's time for a personal confession. I can remember where I was so busy in Nicaragua that I got sick and I was in bed. And I can remember thinking I was so busy doing God's work that I didn't have time for God. And God says, now I got your attention. Now, now you're going to listen. I, I remember that. Uh, and the stuff I was doing was good stuff. The thing is... You can't do it on your own. You're not meant to do it on your own. We need to be guided and filled by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be the Holy Spirit working in us. Number seven, 13 verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. I don't know if you've noticed this, but for the longest time in Acts, it was Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and all of a sudden, here we have it, it's Paul and Barnabas. And yes, Saul changes to Paul because Saul is his Jewish name and Paul is his Gentile name, so that's the reason for that, but the word order shifts. From here on, Paul is in first place. This is the first time that we see a shift from Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas. You see, encouragers, like Barnabas, hand over leadership. They recognize gifting. They recognize that it's not about us. 
They recognize that we all have different gifts and abilities. And that we minister together as a team, using the gifts we have without jealousy for the gifting of others. And yes, there are times that encouragers, people that invest in others, empower others, lift them up, encouragers sometimes are saddened. John Mark ran home to mommy. He bailed. It was too tough. He went back to Jerusalem. And Barnabas must have been saddened when John Mark abandoned the mission and went home. Uh, This was his cousin. He had brought him along from Jerusalem and took him along on this first missionary journey, and he bailed. There is always risk when you pour yourself into someone. The results are never guaranteed. The results are never guaranteed. When you invest in someone, they may at some point not respond to that investment. But you still need to do your part. That's, that's not a reason to pull up stakes and quit or to not do it. Encouragers don't give up right away. They believe in second chances. And you'll notice in chapter 15, verse 37, I won't read it, but you'll notice that Paul and Barnabas actually split because Barnabas wants to give John Mark another chance. See, he's, 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 he's the... He's the believer in second chances. And, and many of us have probably experienced a second chance in our life. Maybe we've also given someone a second chance. Of course, Paul, I'm going to say Paul was a D. Fall in line or get out of the way, and if the bus drives over you, it's your fault. You didn't get out of the way. So that's a little bit Paul. Uh, but I notice in his writings toward the end that that Paul actually mellowed a bit. And there's a point where he says, send John Mark to me, he is useful to me. <laughs> he's, he's, he's become a little more like Barnabas. And you can tell that Barnabas is one of my heroes in the New Testament. I'm sorry. Number eight. 13 verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Luke frequently noticed notices that the called are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy is a byproduct. It's the fruit or evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit, as we notice in the list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Yeah, there might be sadness and hardship in ministry, in embracing our calling, but it also brings joy when ministry is done, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's joy even when there is sadness. Number nine. I'm going to... I have 1342 to 49 and verse 14, verse 2, 5 and 19. I think I'll just read 14 too. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. The called also experienced both converts, in other words, fruit, success in their ministry, and persecution. The called embraced their calling in obedience, and soon they experienced both fruit of their labors, those who accept the message. If you read those verses, you'll notice that they had great success. But they also experienced persecution and hardship. An inevitable part of embracing our calling is hardship. In fact, Jesus pretty much guaranteed it. He never promised us a bed of roses. 
He promised to always be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. He didn't promise us a bed of roses. How committed are you to your calling? If we're committed and filled by the Holy Spirit, then hardship will not deter us or keep us from pressing on. Unfortunately, sometimes the hardship comes from within. And that's, that's more difficult, I think, than when it comes from without. And yet, I think, from the text, we need to press on, even when things are hard. Number 10. Here we are at number 10. 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. The called also arrange for leadership. With prayer and fasting, you notice again. Paul and Barnabas include a ministry of follow-up care as part of their ministry. I wrote in my Spanish Bible because of a, a fellow that I became really good friends with in language school. I think actually he gave me the Bible, and he, maybe he was the one that wrote inside the flyleaf, success without a successor is failure. Yeah, you heard me right. Success without a successor is failure. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they not only go and they spread the word, they preach the gospel, they evangelize, they start these house churches, but then they also come back and visit again, and then they appoint leadership. I don't know what process they had. Luke doesn't give us details about whether they chose them, whether they supervised an election. We have no idea, but we do know that they appointed leadership. There was follow-up care. They strengthened the disciples, verse 22. They exhorted them to remain faithful, and they warned them of approaching hardship. And as I've already said, hardship is a key ingredient of discipleship. Hmm. You didn't want to hear that. Hardship is a key ingredient of discipleship. I've heard it said that muscles grow through tearing. That's why I don't lift weights a lot because I don't want to wreck my suit. But, but apparently, the way that you build muscle is by tearing muscle. Am I right? That's, that's my understanding. So, so we all love the mountaintop. Oh, it's so much fun. But most of the growing happens in the valley. That's not so much fun. But so often, that's where we grow. So much growth and life happens for Christians also in the context of community. So it's important to ensure the continuity of that growth and unity in the community. So elders and pastoral care is important in the life of the church. And unless we make a mistake here, we also need to remember that leadership does not influence equality. Leadership is actually a matter of function. Okay? Leadership is a matter of function. It has nothing to do with equality. We're all equal. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nobody comes in higher or lower. So I have some questions to conclude, and then I'll ask Diane and Mo to come up to help me answer uh, whatever comes across. What does calling look like for us in the corporate context of EFC. 
What are we doing to foster an ethos that is open and receptive to his call? And, and how will we better use the resources and opportunities he has entrusted to us to participate with him under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and his purposes? So, so there's a corporate question here. As a family of believers, as a church body, a local church body, what is God's call on us together? What is his call on us together? And, and, and we, we need to, in prayer, and maybe we need to start fasting. We need, to, we need to keep asking God, what do you have for us? I am, I am convinced that he has placed us, even geographically, right here for a reason. In fact, maybe it sounds like bragging, but I actually think that there are churches in Steinbach that would kill to have this location. And, and you probably know why. We have, we have a mission field right around us. So, how do we ascertain God's call on our life as a congregation? And how do we mobilize together to respond to that call? Just like it has been said, it takes a village to raise a child, we recognize that we are meant to, as the body of Christ, work together. Using our different gifts and abilities to that end. And as I've already suggested, maybe this morning, one of the things that you and I can do, that's very simple, is thanking those who are already serving in our midst. And there are many others that are serving, Sunday school teachers, etc., that I haven't mentioned. It'd be a good idea to thank them. But ultimately, we need to be open to God's calling on our lives, and this requires listening to the Holy Spirit. My second question is for you personally. What does calling look like for you personally? Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I can't determine or suggest that you should be doing this, that, or the other thing. That's up to him, not me. But I'm also convinced that as Christ followers, there's a calling for each and every one of us. And I recognize, for instance, that there are many factors that also play into that, fairly, fairly down-to-earth factors. I know that it probably is quite unlikely that the Lord will call my parents to go to Nicaragua's missionaries today, given that they're 93, etc. Right? You understand. They're, they're, but that doesn't mean they're off the hook. They can still pray. Uh, so, so all of us, as believers, as Christ followers, there's a calling. What does God want from me? What does he want from you? What is God calling you to? What is your role in kingdom work, in his purposes? And then, of course, the obvious question, are you listening? Are you open to his calling? Now, you can't say, you know, I don't really hear the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm listening. Or you've got the radio the white noise turned up so loud that you can't hear his voice in the middle of all of it. You, you need to find ways to, to, to cut through all that white noise and have those times of solitude with the Lord 
and, and, and have him speak to you, right? We, we need to cultivate that, that listening. So are you listening this morning to his call for you? Let's pray, and then we'll... Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for not only saving us, redeeming us, and giving us a hope and a future, but also in your grace and mercy, choosing to make us co-participants with Christ. Not only co-heirs, but participants in this marvelous ministry of sharing the good news with those around us. Lord, we ask that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit, that you would direct us, that you would empower us, that you would give us a vision and purpose that aligns with what you want from us. We commit ourselves to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're all on the hook because we had technical difficulties and there was no live stream, so the phone is not busy. So the questions will have to come from the congregation. But as you think of that, I would just add my own comment. I think oftentimes when we talk about calling, you think of calling in a missional sense of going across the waters to a foreign country like Ernie and I did. But I would say that the calling, Ray, as I sat in your father's funeral, he was called and he raised several generations of people that are following Jesus. That came so clearly in his funeral. He lived a life that read reached generation after generation after generation, and he never went abroad to spread the gospel, but he spread it to a family that is spreading it around them. So I think the calling doesn't have to be like we often think. It's not a missional calling in that you have to go abroad. We're called, and maybe it's to raise children of faith and grandchildren of faith. Do we have questions from the congregation or comments? I'll I'll ask a question um, because yep. it was one that I've been. How do we see our everyday life as calling? Um, it's I think I've heard you know a message like this numbers of times throughout my life, and I think what's natural is for me to right away think about the spiritual, right? To think about how am I reaching my neighbors, how am I, um, but what does it look like for me to be, um, and it's hard, <laughs> it's hard for me to ask that question, um, but like, what does it look like for me to, you know, if I, if I'm a, an electrician or a carpenter, what does it look like for that to be my calling um, without necessarily putting a spiritual bow on it? Right. You know what I mean? Right. I would, I would say that part of, your calling is if you're an electrician or you're a pilot, part of your calling is to do your job to the best of your ability. Uh, when, when I get on a plane, I actually am really hopeful that the pilot is very professional and, and does a good job and gets me to where I'm going. Uh, when, when Colin wires a house, and let's say it's my house, 
I'm really hoping that he will do a good job and that when I plug something in that the, the apparatus won't explode in my hands because he crossed wires. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm kind of counting on that. So, so part of calling is doing what's in front of us, what we're supposed to do to the best of our ability. Uh, what, what I would push against would be the idea, for instance, that I'll just set an example and I'll never say anything uh, and, and, and placate myself with, well, I'm a bit of an introvert or whatever excuse I have, and so I'll just live, uh, live in a way that that'll be a good example. Uh, because Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. So I'm hoping that as I live a certain way, that that will bring somebody to the point of asking. And then I need to be, have one in the chamber. I need to be ready to share where my hope lies. And I don't need to be theologically, like, all versed. I, Actually, what I need to say at that point is I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and it's made all the difference in my life. It, it, right? It, it doesn't, I don't need to have, you know, a degree in theology to be able to answer everything. Whatever you put your hands to do, do it with everything that you have. Yep, the yep. Best, sometimes the best witness that you can have is to do something really, really well. Um, I was reading a, a book lately that, that talked about the idea that if we, if we become the best at what we do, or if we become really good at what we do, we actually have opened up opportunities for people to come and say, uh, to actually give worth to, um, uh, to your advice and to your yep. calling, right? And so it's uh, that opportunity to be able to actually live that in, like whether I'm a, in school being a student or whether I'm, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing. Let's take it one further. I've always thought it's important to be a good employee. And don't burn your bridges behind you. Uh, I, I would like to think that the places where I've worked, that those employers would be happy to have me come back. Because I, I want to be a good employee. To, to be an employee that is just negative and disgruntled and working against the company and complaining all of the time, to me, that's not being a good witness. Uh, so, so, to me, that's part of it. I, I want to be a good employee. Well, you called me back up here, so... <laughs> Sorry, that was my joke today. All right, any, any comments from the congregation related to our topic? If not, we're going to call the praise band up. Yep, right, right here. Yes, I was thinking of our calling. And uh, the thing is, we have to be open to that calling. Christ calls us, and we have to say, yes, here I am. And we have the privilege of praying in his name and seeing things answered. Mm -hmm. And as a mother and a grandmother, I've got lots of kids to pray for and grandchildren. And one by one, I've seen them being answered. My mother was a prayer warrior, and she prayed for a lot of people. I have seen people come to know the Lord after she left. We should never underestimate the power of Jesus 
or the power of prayer. Amen. For his children, we can come anytime, anywhere. And he's always listening. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Isn't it amazing that God is not limited by who we are? Um, that he does whatever he he wants to do, and he's going to do it in spite of us. Yep. I think that that's, that's great. And, and yet he, at the same time, invites us to be a part of that process. Mm. Thank you so much, Mo. Praise band, uh, if you would. Why don't you come up? 